listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you tonight from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University, but as always, not representing the university or its buildings or people or organizations. My guest, who uh, normally would be, uh, I would say, is not speaking for his organization, but it's his organization, the Battle of New Market Heights Memorial and Education Association, so maybe he is, we'll find out. It is the end of classes here the last weekend of april 2022 and we are approaching the end of the spring season of civil war talk radio two more months really but classes are done which sounds seems early it's only april how can classes be done already but that just means we're moving into the next phase of the semester uh, today was reading day the euphemistically named day between the end of classes and the start of final exams. Those will go on for the next two weeks. Uh, good luck to anyone in History 3225 or 3122. Uh, both of you have your finals tomorrow, which I'm sure you know. Uh, if you don't, whether you go to East Carolina University or not, you could go to the ECU website and uh, find the link to the academic calendar, and it tells you when the final exams are for every class. And it's posted, I think, two years in advance. So you can find out when all the final exams are next semester and the one after that. So when you come to me and say, my family has scheduled an early vacation, can I have the final at a different time? The answer, sadly, is no. Um, because uh, the, the exam times were posted a year ago, and you, you ought to have looked at them then. And in fact, uh, for many years, when I started working here, professors were in the habit of changing the exam times to suit their own whims. And that has been, that got cracked down on a number of years back, because if one class gets out of whack, it gives somebody a double exam at the same time, and then they have to get changed, and it just messes everything up. So we're not allowed to change the times for everybody who's good, yet there will always be a student asking, um, can I get it mine at a different time? Um, it, it's uh, uh, curious how that works. The uh, I, I'm suddenly blanking out as a student has just written to me as we speak. This is like live action radio, uh, asking about the time of, of this year's final exam in one of the classes. I won't name the class. Uh, it's on the website. It's in the syllabus. It's in so many places. But the students want to hear directly from me, apparently. What time is the exam? Well, uh, in other local news, I'm not talking baseball. Pirates dropped two in a row. We'll talk about something else. The um, I was looking online and saw that the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, uh, at least the online version, I don't know if there is a paper one anymore, uh, the cover features... Uh, the person who goes by the named YouTube of Mr. Beast. If you are not familiar with Mr. Beast, ask a 12-year-old uh, boy, and he will tell you. Uh, he, he creates content on YouTube, and 
makes literally millions of dollars from this apparently people i guess against advertisers uh, and his his main shtick is he then gives the money away he gives money to uh, people in large quantities and and films himself doing it people watch that i guess it's entertaining i did see one where uh, uh, a local fellow who ran a a sporting goods shop was retiring and going out of business selling the remaining stock in his store and Mr. Beast and his guys went in and said how much and the guy said for what and he said everything uh, and the guy quoted him a price and he bought everything in the store that day with, with shopping carts and dragged it all out and the guys reti- and, and then he doubled the price too and gave the guy a bunch of extra money sets him up for retirement it, 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 it's heartwarming it's fun to watch um so, and he lives here in Greenville, North Carolina. That's what this is about. So we've got two major social media figures coming out of Greenville, North Carolina, Mr. Beast and Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, Mr. Beast is making literally millions of dollars. Uh, Civil War Talk Radio is close on his heels with the offer of uh, Civil War Talk Radio t-shirts and other tchotchkes that you can get if you go to the civil war talk radio website uh, impedimentsofwar.org or if you go to the civil war talk radio facebook page i think you can find it there uh, and you can see what what we have going on it's it's not quite in mr beast category yet where he is in the millions we are still in the uh, single digits of dollars but you know who knows that could change the other thing uh, that I started doing here a month or so ago was promoting our East Carolina University Masters in History program. This is just on my own hook. Don't tell the department uh, or, or anyone that, that we're advertising the university this way. And indeed, they're not paying me to do it. I'm not uh, authorized. I'm just letting you know, if you want to get a master's degree at a real actual University that's been around for a hundred years and has brick buildings, not a fake online diploma mill. Uh, our program now offers enough online classes that you can manage to do it. It's not easy. Most of our classes are still face-to-face, but enough are online that you can string together enough to put together an entire MA degree. Uh, and if you write a thesis dealing with Civil War history, uh, I'd probably end up advising you, and we'd work on that. Uh, so if you're interested. Don't call me. Call the contact East Carolina University. Look at their website. Find out how to apply to the graduate school. Uh, I don't have any pull with the graduate school. I can't tell if you'll be admitted or not. Again, it's not a diploma mill. We don't just take everybody. But if you're actually interested and have some decent academic background, uh, some if you didn't flunk out when you were younger, um, give it a try. It'd be fun to have you in the program. If you want to less less commitment to uh, uh, history, uh, you can just listen to the show next week. Our guest will be Vince Burns, author of Voices of the Army of the Potomac. And then we're taking two weeks away from live shows as This Hallowed Ground 2022 launches. I will be taking visitors throughout the battlefields of Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania. I hope you can join. I think there's still time to sign up for that tour. 
We'll return with more Civil War Talk Radio on May 25th. Mike Somerville of the UK Civil War Roundtable is also the author of a book called Bull Run to Boer War, How the American Civil War Changed the British Army. Really looking forward to that. My library, interlibrary loan copy just showed up today. And then on June 1, Elizabeth Leonard comes back to the show with her new biography of Ben Butler. Everybody likes Ben Butler. We'll find out why uh, and more. But let's get on with the show. Uh, Chatting a long time here and need to bring in our guest, Tim Talbot. He is an old friend of the show, uh, has been on before, and is tonight going to tell us about the uh, New Market Battle of Newmarket Heights Memorial and Education Association. Tim, are you there? Yeah, Jerry, thank you for having me on tonight. Well, welcome back to the show. You you were on a, a couple of years ago, you and uh, Elizabeth uh, Parnitza from uh, who's at Appomattox with the National Park Service now. Uh, the three of us had a chat up at Gettysburg and recorded that for the show. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, sure do. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was uh, that was fun. It's, it's, it's fun to do it face-to-face. You and I have met many times at, at Pamplin Park and other places, and uh, often I interview folks I've never met, and, and so my only contact is, is through the headphones, but uh, talking to a human being I actually know is, is quite pleasant, and so it's uh, good to have a face that goes with a, a voice tonight. So... Um, Let's just, we're going to take a short break. I've, I've rambled too long, but let's just get started right quick. Uh, where is New Market Heights uh, for listeners around the world? Uh, let's get ourselves located. That's one of the biggest challenges that we've been faced with a little bit is trying to get people to understand the difference between the Battle of New Market over in the Shenandoah Valley uh, and the Battle of New Market Heights, which is just outside of Richmond, just southeast of Richmond, um, um, along the James River. So that's a big challenge. <laughs> and it, this was part of the, uh, when did this take place, this battle? The, the battle happened on September 29th, 1864. And this is part of uh, Grant's um, fifth offensive during the Richmond-Petersburg campaign of 1864. So it's, it's one of many battles in that, that campaign. And it's often struck me as I learn more about them, I find them increasingly interesting, these overland campaign battles. Uh, people haven't heard of Newmarket Heights. They haven't heard of Darby Town Road. They haven't heard of Hatcher's Run. But for the guys who fought there, they were just as meaningful as any as Gettysburg or Shiloh. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, uh, you know, after Grant had tried to capture Petersburg with those first and second offensives, um, starting with that third offensive, um, people were more uh, familiar with the Battle of the Crater. Well, he's going to combine movements north of the James River with those movements at Petersburg as well. So he's going to try that for the third offensive, the fourth offensive, and then this at the fifth offensive. Well, we will take a short break and come back and look at what happens in this offensive north of the James River, striking directly at Richmond. It happens in 1864 at Newmarket Heights. We're talking with Timothy Talbot, uh, one of the founders of the Newmarket Heights Education, <clears throat> excuse me, Memorial and Education Association. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Timothy Talbot of the Battle of Newmarket Heights Memorial and Education Association. We're just starting to talk a bit about the battle itself, which, uh, Tim, as you point out, it's Newmarket Heights, not the one in the Shenandoah Valley, Newmarket. The... uh, the, the battle is the scene of, of Butler sending troops directly at Richmond while Grant is fighting down at Petersburg, a two-pronged offensive. But there are lots of offensives in, in the, the siege of Petersburg at all these these small places, you know, People's Farm, uh, etc. What is it about Newmarket Heights that, that brought it to your attention? Uh, I guess I first heard about Newmarket Heights or read about it with... Um Noah Trudeau's book, Like Men of War, uh, his focus on black soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to be a little bit more in depth in my research and finding out about it about four years ago when I did a tour uh, for some folks uh, that attended the Pamplin Symposium. Uh, so we actually got out on the ground, but to prepare for that, I had to do a significant amount of research to get familiar with it and get familiar with the ground. Um, and what really struck me is the lack of things that are there for people to learn about that battle. Um, the only thing that really is there is a Virginia highway marker and um, a Virginia, excuse me, a Civil War Trails wayside exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some additional wayside exhibits put up by Civil War Trails and the American Battlefield Trust here recently, but uh, there's very little there for people to learn about this very significant event. Uh, in the Civil War involving these United States colored troops. I drove by there last summer. I think I was using one of Michael Weeks' excellent uh, tour guides and pulled off uh, by the side of the road, a busy highway. Uh, There was a, a county park of some kind there, and I was able to see 
a hillside, uh, a lot of trees, and and I think there was a historical marker, but but it was not what you call a battlefield the way we think of, of Gettysburg or even uh, um, you know you know one of the the less developed battlefields. It's not Brandy Station. Uh, there really is nothing, as you say, nothing much there, and and it's a little bit risky actually to pull off the highway uh, if you're not careful to to read the marker. Uh, at least the one that I I had seen. So. Um, what can well let's go back to the battle you, you mentioned uh, noah trudeau's book uh, the, the if any if we know anything about the battle people listeners are nodding their heads going isn't that the battle where they won all the medals of honor uh what, what am i remembering there yeah so um there were 14 african-american soldiers who received medals of honor for their acts of valor there at newmarket heights on september 29th 1864 and two white officers um, with those USCT regiments. So, and that's that's got to be a substantial part of it. I mean, the Medal of Honor was was not given away freely. I guess there was that one regiment from Maine where everybody got one because they reenlisted, <laughs> but they t- they took all those back eventually. Um, I mean, w- w- did black soldiers win a lot of medals of honor? Was this a common thing? No, out of the whole uh, Civil War, as far as those who fought. Um, and, you know, in the Army, um, mm-hmm. there were only 20, 21. Hmm. Um, so this is the lion's share of them. Um, so well, let's talk about the battle. What did they do? Give us a thumbnail sketch of, of what happened at, at Newmarket Heights. Sure. So um, no, operating north of the James, and you mentioned that you'll be talking with Elizabeth Leonard and her new book on Benjamin Butler. Of course, he's right. leading those efforts with the Army of the James. Um, and he's got basically two corps uh, with him, the 10th Corps and the 18th Corps as part of the Army of the James. And when he gets some information through his spy network that some forces from Lee's Army are going to be sent over to the Shenandoah Valley, um, he and Grant uh, come up with a plan to make a movement north of the James River, which is going to involve primarily the 18th Corps, although the 10th Corps is there as well. So... Uh, two corps of the eight, excuse me, two divisions of the 18th Corps are going to attack it. A uh, Confederate installation called Fort Harrison, which mm-hmm. is a little bit further up the river um, toward Richmond. And then the African American division is going to attack at uh, Newmarket Heights and try to turn that position. While the 10th Corps is going to be um, basically serving as support. Mm-hmm. The. Uh so these are troops these are troops are dug in there is it like petersburg are they the trenches or is it more like the sort of field works what what are they facing here yeah so the the union army has um some earthworks around the bridgehead at deep bottom landing where they've come uh, and landed and secured a position but the confederates are dug in along um kind of parallel to new market road uh, which is present day highway five so they've got earthworks and they've got uh, a couple of lines of abattee, um, mm-hmm. so it's going to be a difficult, a difficult charge against some of the Lee's best troops. This is um, the Texas Brigade, mm-hmm. uh, so the Fourth, Fifth, and First Texas, along with the Third Arkansas, and then there's some dismounted cavalry defending there as well under uh, General Martin Gary. 
So this is going to be a tough nut to crack for these uh, USCT troops who've had some experience in battle. They fought um, most of them uh, on June 15th at Petersburg. They've served in the trenches at Petersburg. Uh, so most of these troops are, are not uh, rookies. They've, they've had their taste of, of fire. They've seen the elephant. Yeah. So the, uh, I mean, any attack against an entrenched position, uh, you know, we know how that's going to end, whether it's Malvern Hill or Pickett's Charge or Franklin. It just doesn't go well as a rule. Uh, do they do they succeed at any point? Do they actually get to the Confederate position? Yeah, so uh, the division commander is uh, Charles Jackson Payne, and he's fairly inexperienced as a division commander. And what he does first is he sends in um, a very small brigade, two regiments, the 4th United States Colored Infantry and the 6th United States Colored Infantry, who's um, being commanded as a brigade by Samuel Duncan. So he sends those guys in first, um, basically in in two lines, and they encounter that abattee and get hung up in it and uh, receive terrific fire. Um, and then, of course, there's Confederate artillery support on either uh, ends on the flanks. And um, on Newmarket Heights, there's a signal tower for the Confederates. So they're able to see this attack coming and they know where to station their men exactly. And uh, that first attack, Duncan's brigade, is going to endure about uh, just over 50% casualties. Mm. They're going to get chewed up pretty bad. That, that's yeah, that, that's not good. So at, at that point, is this like Fredericksburg? Do they just keep throwing troops up up the slope at, at this entrenched position? Um, well, Duncan's brigade is going to fall back and try to reorganize uh, which men are you know what men are still on their feet, and mm-hmm. then Jackson, excuse me, Payne is going to send in. Um, Alonzo Draper's brigade, which is the 5th United States Colored Infantry, the 36th, and the 38th. And he's going to have these guys attack in a different manner. They're going to be uh, stacked in column. And they're going to go forward and run into that abattee and get uh, their momentum slowed significantly. But then finally they get their momentum picked back up Um after some of the officers and NCOs are able to um, get a cheer started amongst the men, they push forward again, and then they're able to break through the Confederate line. Mm. So they actually break through the line. Yeah, and they force the Confederates to retreat uh, toward Richmond. So they have to fall back um, and, and secure another position up near Fort Harrison. Yeah, Fort Harrison is, is a beautifully preserved earthwork, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, and, and out in the far Richmond suburbs or exurbs. Um, it is. You know, there's like, there's nobody around there, but uh, you're going through this neighborhood, and then there's this, wow, what a fort. Um, was, so the Confederates fall back to there. Does this, in terms of... of in terms of story, it's very dramatic. They, 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 the black troops break through, drive the Texas Brigade off, suffer huge casualties doing it, win medals of honor. Uh, does it pay off in the long run? Is there any strategic outcome of this battle? Yeah. Um, well, I guess 
what I called my uh, tour that I gave there was success and stalemate. Mm-hmm. So they do have success here. They do have success at Fort Harrison. Uh, the Confederates counterattack at Fort Harrison the following day, um, September 30th, but they're unsuccessful in those attacks. And the Union forces hold on to that line at Fort Harrison um, until April 2nd, 1865, when the Confederates mm-hmm. evacuate Richmond. So it doesn't it doesn't end the siege by any means, but it, it accomplishes its goal, keeps those troops focused. They can't go help Lee south of, of the river against Grant. The uh, again, my memories of this place, you know, Fort Harrison is in a neighborhood more or less. Uh, the the markers on, on Highway Five are are just out there. Uh, there's a jogging path, uh, but but. No, no, nothing else to really give a sense of where the battlefield is. So, what what gave you the idea of of trying to create a monument there? So, I guess it was that lack of anything being there for people to learn this very important story of courage and heroism by these uh, often overlooked United States Colored troops. You know, you hear about them famously at Fort Wagner, mm-hmm. um, maybe even down at Port Hudson, Louisiana. Um, but Newmarket Heights gets overlooked for some reason um, in favor of other, other things. And uh, I just felt that there was a real strong need for their story to be more widely known. Um, well, we're in an era where a lot of monuments have been coming down, ones that are not in places necessarily relevant to, uh, to what they show, where they were put up in the Jim Crow era for, for various other purposes. Uh, but conversely, where we have extra monuments where where there were no Confederates or where there were not many, here's an example where we don't have a monument where something really did happen uh, and, and seems to deserve memorialization. So how does one go about the process? What, what are you, I mean, who do you call when you want to get a monument created? <laughs> It's been an interesting process. Um, So this all started, I guess, uh, during the summer of 2018. Um, One of my friends, uh, James Price, who you've had on your show, who talked Mm -hmm. about his book, uh, New Market Heights. Um, We got together for a lunch in Petersburg. He was working at the Women's Army Museum at Fort Lee at that time. So we got together for lunch and I told him about uh, this idea and he seemed uh, really on board with it due to all his knowledge that he carries uh, from writing the book. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, it just became sort of a, a, at first a slow process of uh, drawing up some bylaws, contacting the state um, business commission to start a nonprofit organization. Um, luckily had some, some help creating a website through um, some good contacts and uh, it's starting to pick up steam finally. Um, we've got a real nice website with some great resources for people to learn about the battle. Um, and uh, we just received several monument design um, proposals. Mm. And uh, the board is kind of working our way through those right now, uh, trying to decide what would be best at that particular location. 
So the website you mentioned, what's the address of that so listeners can find it? Sure, it's battleofnewmarketheights.org. All one word, battleofnewmarketheights.org. Uh, and I've, I've just called it up here, and I've, I've actually been looking at it today. It is a beautiful website. It does give the history of the battle, some of the stories. Uh, so, you know, that, again, I'm thinking of those old movies where they need to raise money and say, hey, my uncle has a barn. We can put on a show. Uh, hey, I want to have a monument. Uh we know something about the battle. Uh, I, I guess the first question would be, do you have a barn? Do you have a place to put a monument? Yes. Uh, so we've been working closely with uh, Henrico County Parks and Recreation. And the park that you mentioned there called Four Mile Creek Park, mm-hmm. uh, Henrico County has um, um, agreed to uh, allow us to place the monument there. Ah, that's a now, big step. Yeah, and it's it's course on the opposite side of the road from where the action occurred. All the fighting was south of Highway Five, mm-hmm. uh, but it's as close to the the site as we can get at this present time. So the, um, I, I mean that that is a huge step. I I used to assign this as a, a in an introductory public history course. I'd say you want to build a monument. I'd give them a topic, or let them pick the topic. Say now, how do you get it built? Where do you go first? And, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see people sort of flounder around, try to figure out, well, how do I even start? Uh, local government is certainly a strong place to start. And you, you've working with the county, looks like you've got uh, got your feet on the ground there. The, uh, the issue that, that comes up, I was looking at, at, at the book you mentioned by James S. Price called The Battle of Newmarket Heights. Freedom will be theirs by the sword is the subtitle, uh, and he and I talked about it on the show uh, some time back. In glancing over it again, I noticed at the end he describes the efforts to preserve some of the land, and especially the opposition from from local landowners that it was not a popular proposal. So what I'm thinking here, my proposal to you is that we'll take another short break. Uh, but I want to go off on that topic. Just uh, what does the community think? Uh, where do you go for support? How do you try to mobilize support? What what does one do in a case like this? Um, so we will uh, we'll take our break a little bit early and and uh, step aside for a moment. Come back and talk more with Tim Talbot, who is our guest tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. He is the uh, founding member or one of the founding members of the Battle of New Market Heights Memorial and Education Association. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Tim Talbot of the Battle of Newmarket Heights Memorial and Education Association. Tim, I was saying at the end of our last segment how uh, in, in Jim Price's book, he says that when there were some some talk of preserving some of the battlefield land initially, uh, the local landowners were, were not at all supportive. And uh, I wonder, what, what is the temperature now uh, uh, or towards this monument idea? Uh, it seems like things are, are really good, especially in the Richmond community itself. The Enrico County um, owns the lion's share of the core battlefield at Newmarket Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the American Battlefield Trust and the um, Capital Region Land Conservancy also has been purchasing acreage there on the battlefield. So their combined efforts, along with the uh, Department of uh, Historic Resources in Virginia, have been able to save um, a significant amount of land there. So I think things are starting to 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 turn in the past, you know, in the last decade or so since the book was written. Uh, so I think things are on a much more positive scale um, in in getting these soldiers uh, some recognition. That is very good to hear. Uh, that reminds me to ask about your, your day job. Uh, often I talk to folks who write about the Civil War at night, but during the day they are doctors or lawyers. Uh, what are you doing uh, when you're not working on this project? Uh, so I work with um, the Central Virginia Battlefields Trust, which ah, is a land preservation organization here in Fredericksburg, where I live now. So, so this is uh, the busman's holiday. You're, you're uh, uh, by day battlefield preserver and by night battlefield memorializer. <laughs> That's how I feel when I'm home. And you know, what are you going to read? Oh, I'm going to read some Civil War. Well, I'll take a break. I'll read World War One tonight. Uh, you know, it, it, when you love what you do, it, you never work a day. They say. Um, so, so uh, let me just ask about that r- real quick. Uh, what what is Central Virginia Battlefields Trust? So we're a, a an or- preservation organization, obviously, um, whose mission is to try to preserve uh, battlefield land, uh, primarily associated with um, Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, uh, the Wilderness, and Spotsylvania Courthouse battles. And and is there any? 
competition or conflict with groups like American Battlefield and Trust? No, actually, we often work in cooperation with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our recent um, preservation efforts was to secure some land um, that Todd's Tavern, which is between the fighting mm-hmm. at the Wilderness and Spotsylvania, um, and we actually uh, partnered with them to, to get that land preserved or working on it. Excellent. So it's not like that that old Monty Python movie where the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front were each other's worst enemies. <laughs> uh, they, they couldn't bother about the Romans. They're too much infighting. It, it does seem like the preservation community has, it has moved well beyond that with uh, uh, with organizations like yours and and, uh, and then memorial and education associations like, like New Market Heights, getting back to that. So um, can people help with this project? Definitely. Um, on our website, there's an opportunity to either donate to the project or become a member of our organization. Um, what we really would like for people to go on the website and do is, um, of course, donate, but also um, make use of the resources that are there. We've got um, a, a nice bibliography. If people want to learn more about New Market Heights, some different sources uh, they can go to to learn about the battle. Um, I've been working uh, on writing individual soldiers' story. I'm a big believer that these men not only need to be um, recognized and acknowledged collectively, Mm -hmm. uh, but also individually. So those soldiers who were uh, either killed in action or died of mortal wounds, I've been researching their stories and trying to do individual profiles on them. Um, And then along with that, I've worked my way through four of the five primary regiments who assaulted the position and um, have been working on casualty lists of men by going through each of those uh, regiments, compiled military service records to get accurate figures and um, identify those men who were either killed or wounded. Yeah, but, and a lot of this is on the website. I, I can see there's really detailed information here. And you've also got lesson plans for teachers who want to teach about this battle. So uh, uh, really, it is a, is a very nice website and, and a good way to learn about this, good maps as well. The uh, You mentioned uh, you're just getting the idea of uh, uh, concepts for a monument. Uh, do you have something in mind that you think I'm picturing on the one hand the sort of abstract Washington monument several hundred feet tall probably not what you're thinking of or you know Gutzen Borglum realistic charging figures monument uh, what's where's monument art design going in, in your in your mind uh, well there's the the sort of traditional uh, realism type a monument you might see something like, uh, for instance, the Korean War Memorial or the Iwo Jima Memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some that are a little bit more uh, interpretive. I don't know if you've ever been to the Corinth Interpretive Center in uh, Corinth, Mississippi, uh, mm-hmm. but they've got an interesting um, sort of uh, creative design to try to interpret the, the nation's troubled uh, waters as it approaches the Civil War era. Uh, so there's a lot of different, I think, styles out there right now. And uh, we're just kind of reviewing 
what those uh, artists have sent to us right now, so we're not really set on any any particular thing at the present time. Well, that's uh, it. It is an interesting time to be uh, to be thinking about it, with so much emphasis on monuments and what they mean, and of course, uh, you know, people identifying some of the negative baggage that attached to. Uh, some traditional monuments. Here's we have here we have one that's firmly rooted in the story itself, uh, in the events that actually took place there. When uh, last time I was at Pamplin Park and you were education director there for many years, I, I believe the uh, they had an exhibit of artifacts uh, of USCT, United States uh, Colored Troops, that included things from Newmarket. Uh, had you been in, were you involved with that exhibit? Yeah, um, that was a, that was probably one of my most favorite things uh, I got to do in my um, uh, time at Pamplin Park was was that exhibit. Uh, myself and uh, Carly Elder, who was a, our collections manager at that time, um, we we sort of collaborated on that exhibit mm-hmm. and put it together um, through the strong collection that Pamplin had. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a gentleman named William Gladstone, who was a um, big USCT collector. He hmm. passed away uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago and gave part of his collection to the Library of Congress, and uh, Pamplin got part of his collection. Ah. So he had uh, a really good uh, start for us, what we had on our own property uh, <laughs> through our collections. But then we were able to make some good connections through networking with some private collectors as well as other um, institutions, museums, who had USCT items that really helped uh, tell that story. Well, it was great. It was in the temporary exhibit gallery, and I know sometimes temporary exhibits can be a year or more. Uh, do you know if it's still up or if they've moved moved to a new temporary exhibit? It was, uh, yeah, it just ran from uh, Memorial Day until the end of November last year. Okay, so we'll we'll see what's there next time. Um, it was a great exhibit, and it really did help raise awareness of, of this battle at Newmarket Heights. Uh, let, let me try a curveball approach here. We've been concerned down here in North Carolina about the Battle of Wise Forks. Um, Wade Sokolowski has written about it, has made people aware that there's uh, talk within Department of Transportation of putting a big interchange on, a, on Highway 70, which is a lot like uh, Highway 5 in Virginia in terms of, of its size, at least uh, it's my recollection of it. Uh, it's a rural highway, and, and why they need a big interchange is not clear, but it would wipe out much of Wise Forks, which is not heavily marked any more than Newmarket Heights is. Is there any danger that if you succeeded, put up a, a beautiful monument and attracted attention and people started coming, that, that it would actually have the opposite effect? Next thing you know, you've got a McDonald's and then a off-ramp to service them, and, and suddenly there goes the battlefield. Um, I don't think so. Or the, the location we've identified, it being owned by Enrico County, um, mm-hmm. it's meant for recreation that four mile creek park i don't think it is going to be uh developed further in that particular section now across the road there is uh, an exxon gas station there is a dairy queen um and some other um businesses there 
but uh, that's that's kind of limited to a certain area as well. So I think the monument would be pretty well safe where it is. It is unfortunate when those road expansion projects happen when battlefields are wiped out though i know you know when i-81 was put in over in the shenandoah valley it wiped out part of the new market battlefield mm-hmm. and then uh, when 64 was put in there east of richmond it wiped out the savage station battlefield um so yeah it's it's a terrible thing when they can't figure out to put roads in a little bit different place no, the uh, in the conversations I've had here with, with people in terms of preservation and and our, our local uh, state legislator and, and so on, the uh, the watchword that keeps coming up is money. Don't tell people this is important for heritage and uh, memory and patriotism. That, that means nothing. Uh, tell them you'll get more visitors if you have a battlefield. You'll get paying customers if you have a battlefield. That's what they want to hear. Well, I think that's often a, an overlooked uh, reason for preservation is it does bring in a lot of historic tourism. People go to mm-hmm. battlefields, they spend money at restaurants, they buy gas, they stay at hotels in the area, um, they visit um, bookstores and stuff like that. So I think it is a, an economic factor there that people often overlook. And, and absolutely, it, it, as I said at the introduction, we're getting close to uh, the the annual tours that I do with the Stephen Ambrose Historical uh, Tours Company, and then we'll be going up, uh, we'll be going through Fredericksburg and other places. And uh, I personally keep several bookstores in business every year. I think with this tour <laughs> because I. <laughs> Uh, I, I cannot resist. Whatever money I make on the tour just goes right back in the local economy. Uh, coming back with arms of books that I can read the rest of the summer. Uh, well, speaking of books, uh, what should people read about Newmarket Heights? You do have a bibliography on the website, but if, if you want to tell listeners one book to pick up, where should they go? So I would I would recommend James Price's book. Um as the great place to start. It's a history press book. I think it came out in 2011, uh, but he does a good job of telling that story. Um, that would be the, the go-to book I would recommend. And it, it is a nice one. And, and uh, listeners, you can listen to uh, my talk with the author. Uh, James Price was on the show back when the book came out and we had a nice conversation about it. So uh, you, you can learn about it there. Uh, Tim, if we have a few minutes left, let me run the uh, Civil War time machine uh, uh, project on you. Question I like to ask: If you could go back, uh, given what you know about New Market Heights, uh, to talk to just one individual for 30 minutes and then come back in time safely, uh, you've got 30 minutes in the past. Who would you want to talk to? So I'm going to cop out and go with the same answer that I gave you when you talked to us up at Gettysburg College. (laughs) Uh, Corporal Miles James, who was in the 36th United States Colored Infantry, uh, one of the Medal of Honor recipients, um, formerly enslaved uh, during the battle, takes a terrible wound to his left arm, um, but he is uh, unwilling to leave the battlefield. He continues to load and fire his his rifle with one arm. Um, after the battle, he is taken to a field hospital. The arm is amputated. And while he's in the hospital, he requests that he come back into service with one arm and does so uh, and is issued a sword instead of a rifle. Um, so 
Uh, unfortunately, he's going to pass away in 1871 from complications due to his amputation. Uh, but um, that would be the person that I would want to meet. Wow. that What a story he would tell, too. That would really be something. Well, it, this is a, a worthy project, uh, to say the least. The uh, address of the website, let me give that again here, battleofnewmarketheights.org, all one word, Battle of New Market Heights. Uh, it is run by the Battle of New Market Heights Memorial and Education Association, founded in part by our guest tonight, Tim Talbot, who is working to have this battlefield properly memorialized and the services of the uh, the brave men who fought there, won the Medal of Honor there, have them be properly recognized. Tim, all I can say is, is best of luck with the project. I, I hope it does well, and I hope we see a monument there before too long. Thank you. I really appreciate you giving us some time to help spread the word and create uh, more awareness of not only the monument, but the men who served there. And uh, always a, a pleasure to serve in a good cause. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.